democracy isn't a spectator sport. America isn't about, yes, he will. It's about, yes, we can. And we're going to carry Hillary to victory this fall because that's what the moment demands. Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia has had no shortage of great speeches filled with soaring rhetoric. But let's be honest, last night was an exception. And it was probably what we heard was probably one of the last great speeches that President Obama will give during his tenure in office. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. And that's where we start today with the soaring rhetoric of President Obama at the National Convention in Philadelphia last night. I have not seen responses from anyone that uh, that denied how moving this speech was, uh, how excited he seemed. Uh, and again, the, the, the great orator skills that uh, that the president has are, are, are were never on bigger display than they were last night. All over my social media feed, all over news coverage, this is being described as an exceptional address to the delegates in Philadelphia. What did you think of it? Did you watch? Were you persuaded? Were you sad as some of the people that I uh, interact with were talking about being that this might be the real, the last time you see the president give such a speech uh, before a national audience. And lots of people were sad that this is sort of the beginning of the end of the Obama presidency, that he will ride off into the sunset sometime in January and we'll have a new president. Uh, all hour, we're going to be talking about the convention. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. If you want to talk about the president's speech, you want to talk about Mike Duggan, mayor of the city of Detroit. Also gave uh, an address to the delegates in Philadelphia yesterday. Uh, what, what did you think of what he said? What did you think about our mayor being on a national stage? We've seen that before. Uh, didn't end the way we thought it would with Kwame Kilpatrick. What does it mean for Mike Duggan to address the Democratic National Convention? Again, the number here is 313 577 1019 to uh, talk about uh, to talk about the convention day three last night in Philadelphia. Uh, up first, I want to talk with Lee Wilkins, who's a professor and the chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University, uh, about the speeches, not just the president's speech, but all of the big speeches we have seen this week and how they sort of fit into the narrative of the campaign. Are these speeches persuasive? Do they do they change people's minds? Do they just solidify support that's already there? Do they address the questions that voters have? Are they effective tools in a campaign? Lee Wilkins, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen, and thanks for asking me. Absolutely. So let's talk about, let's start with the president's speech last night. Uh, really, uh, one of his signature speeches, uh, and again, those great orative skills that he has. I mean, really, uh, this is he is an exceptional public speaker. I thought last night uh, he dialed it up a little notch. Maybe he was on 11 instead of 10. Uh, I think you're right. I only saw it, of course, on television. I wasn't there present in the hall. And I gather from the news accounts that if you were present in the hall, there was an even bigger emotional impact than there was for those of us who were just able to, to see it on the screen. 
he's always been a gifted public speaker, a gifted orator. I do want to say to the folks who are worried that this might be the last time we would hear from him in this in this way, think of the number of speeches that former President Bill Clinton has given after he left the presidency. Think sure. of the number of speeches that former President Jimmy Carter has given, even in his late 80s and his early 90s. So I think for those folks, I I don't want to to um, bury uh, President Obama's oratorical skills prematurely. He's still a young man, and he's still going to have lots to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, let's talk about this specific speech. I mean, the the purpose of this speech, of course, was to bolster the prospects of his former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who is the nominee for president uh, in the party this time. Was he effective in transferring that feeling that people have about him, that fervor that uh, he he whipped up in 2008, which I think he's able still to sort of call on when he's giving these speeches? The goal last night, I suppose, was to transfer that to Hillary Clinton, who's a very different figure and who people relate to very differently. Was it an effective speech in that sense? If I go by the research, which the, what the research says is that speeches such as that are effective at doing a couple of things. One, they reinforce opinions you've already got. Um, that's the single biggest effect that we've been able to document in the research literature. So if you listen to that speech as a person who was a Democrat, if you listen to that speech as a person who was pro-Hillary, then I think what that speech did was it solidified your belief that this, that this is the person that I probably want to vote for. And it may have energized you to go out and do perhaps a little something other than vote, you know, maybe donate maybe ring doorbells, um, maybe talk to your spouse or to your neighbors about politics. Those are the two biggest effects that the research says. The, The commentary that I heard at least said that this speech, President Obama's speech, was also pitched to that middle portion of the American electorate that is not would would not self-define as progressive or would not self-define as conservative. Whether or not this speech was persuasive to that group of people, I don't think we know. The research is sort of six and one, half a dozen of the other on that. But what it may have done was to allow people to say, gee, I hadn't thought about this in that way, or I hadn't understood this about, you know, what you know about Hillary Clinton. So, you know, whether or not it's persuasive to that, to that group of people, sometimes I think there are only five of those people in the whole country, um, but whether or not it was persuasive to that group of people, I don't think the research gives us a really good hint. And I think because this is such an unusual election year, we're going to kind of wait and find out. Uh, the interesting thing is a lot of those people appear to live in Michigan. So we will have a front row seat into how all of these speeches, all of these campaign pitches, whether they're speeches or ads or whatever, or personal uh, contact, how all of that's going to shake out. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Lee Wilkins. She's the professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. We are talking about the Democratic National Convention and specifically about President Barack Obama's address to the delegates last night in Philadelphia. As usual, uh, 
uh, a speech with many rhetorical flourishes delivered with uh, all of the style and impact that we have come to be accustomed to with uh, President Obama. But was the speech effective? Was it effective in making the case for Hillary Clinton? He really framed her uh, in that speech as his political heir, as the person who will carry forward the things that he has started in the last eight years. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that the connection between a Clinton presidency and an Obama presidency will be that strong? Is that what you want? And did the president address any concerns that you had about Hillary Clinton last night? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. Also, Mike Duggan, mayor of the city of Detroit, addressed the delegates last night. Did you see his speech? What did you think of what the mayor said? What do you think of the idea of making the case for Detroit and Detroit's issues and victories and struggles on a national stage. Does that make a difference for us here in the city? 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Lee, we also saw a moving speech uh, last night, I I suppose less moving than just devastating, uh, from former uh, New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who really disassembled the narrative that Donald Trump has tried to sort of uh, build around himself uh, as as this sort of success and uh, decision maker. That seemed to me a very effective speech because it was so pointed, because it was so specific. But there again, uh, the question is, does that help disabuse uh, people who are in favor of Donald Trump of their affinity for him? I think that's an open question, Stephen, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to, to dodge. So let me say, I think if you are a fervent Donald Trump supporter, there's little that anyone can say to you that's <laughs> going to convince you to be otherwise. Right. If you are a person who is either still contemplating or really very much on the fence, then Bloomberg's speech would have, to me, a very different tenor then President Obama's speech um, might be one more piece of information that you will take in and think about. Certainly as mayor of New York, he had a front row seat to many of Mr. Trump's uh, business uh, endeavors. And he probably knows a lot more than he was saying publicly about those endeavors. And he certainly gave some evaluation of that. Uh, so, you know, if you're, but if you're really, really strongly in the Trump camp, I suspect there's little at this point that someone could say to persuade you otherwise. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Michelle Marie in Southfield. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. Um, you know, I thought the president was just always a great orator, a great speech. However, I, I don't feel that he could have gracefully addressed the issue of um, Hillary Clinton and the allegations against her regarding um, the Gazi and her term as Secretary of State. You know, the Trump camp has been very strong in addressing that and bringing it up. And while they spoke against him and, and said a lot of things in speech against him, he didn't really say much for her or gracefully address that issue at all. She's pretty graceful. So, so, so what would you have? What would you have wanted to hear the president say? I mean, what, what, what was it that you, th- that you were waiting for him to address? 
You know, what I was waiting for him to address is the fact that I don't trust her, and I don't trust her because of what happened. So maybe what the protocol was and maybe what she could have done or what she did do appropriately, maybe not address the protocol. I mean, he's talking to delegates, but at least talk about what she did well as Secretary of State. And I, he didn't speak of anything that yeah. she did well as Secretary of State. He just talked about how much he likes her and, you know, he, he trusts her. Just because he trusts her doesn't mean that I do. That wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michelle Marie, thanks very much uh, for that call. Uh, Lee Wilkins, uh, right there in the call, we hear uh, the, the sort of possible limitation of a speech like this. I mean, I'm not sure that it would have made a lot of sense for the president to get up there and, you know, get into a defense of specific things that went on when Hillary Clinton was secretary of state. It would have been a very different speech if he had done that. And it would have sort of uh, detracted from the power of it, from that that sort of rhetorical power uh, that he used. But then, uh, as Michelle Marie makes clear, you leave a lot of people you leave a lot of people wanting and unsure of the case that you're making. As usual, you have really smart callers on this show, so I want to say a couple of things. One, there are a lot of elephants in the room, um, whether it's with Hillary Clinton or with Donald Trump. Uh-huh. And your caller, I think, rightly points out that the American public has questions about this, uh, and particularly about Benghazi, even though there have been a lengthy uh, set of congressional hearings, including, I think, 10 or 11 hours of testimony by um, Secretary Clinton uh, to Congress about this. What this reminds me of more than anything else is the way that the American public responded in 1980 to the deaths of the attempted rescue mission in the Middle East. And I think that the reason that Jimmy Carter didn't get a second term and that we elected Ronald Reagan president in 1980 was in no small part because Reagan was very effectively able to sort of put that that failure in Jimmy Carter's wheelhouse without getting us as voters to ask the question, was which was could anybody have succeeded under those circumstances Um, as americans and as an american public we're really intolerant of of a lack of success uh... mister trump is playing on that by saying we're going to win and we're going to win quickly i think president obama responded obliquely to that by saying it takes time it's frustrating it requires patience so I think you're actually getting a discussion about it from those two people, but not in the explicit terms where we say, well, this happened in Benghazi, and this is how it could have been different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Patricia in St. Clair Shores. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hey. Um, am I on? Uh-huh, you are. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I just want to say that I think President Obama's speech last night was absolutely electrifying. I think that he laid down the best rationale uh, for Hillary to be president, he gave a great big nod to Bernie Sanders' campaign and the youth in the Democratic Party. He has brought us together. He has united us, not just behind Hillary, but behind Bernie, behind the United States. And he has really explicitly pointed out how dysfunctional Donald Trump is and his campaign and the hate-filled rhetoric 
that comes from that side. I, I can't imagine anyone who could have done better to help Hillary along with Michelle and along with Kane. I think people need to look at what Hillary has done all her life and quit focusing on two factors. She's a human being. We all make mistakes. She has accepted that those mistakes, and she continues to fight for all of us. Yeah, and, and and so, I mean, you're somebody who was already convinced of Hillary Clinton's case for, for the presidency, so you weren't necessarily looking to the speech, I guess, to, to, to change your mind. Uh, but that, that question of unification, I think, is, is really important. I mean, we've seen a lot of dissent in the run-up to the Democratic National Convention. We have continued to see some of it in Philadelphia on the floor uh, and, and uh, on social media in particular, uh, what was it about the president's speech, Patricia, that you think uh, turns the corner on that that dissent and and brings the party together? Well, President Obama has extreme integrity. He has fought uphill his entire presidency. He has never given up. He is a tenacious leader, along with a a wonderful orator and statesman. Um, he's just overall a decent human being. He deserved the presidency for both of those terms. But, you know, as I liked Bernie, I liked Hillary. I even wanted, I thought, well, why not Hillary and Bernie at, on a split ticket? The bottom line is they are speaking to those of us who have been working very hard and not seeing any return. They are speaking to what used to be called the middle class, which is now just a working class. President Obama has been there with all of us. He brought himself up through the ranks. He has explained his history. Hillary has gone through her history. They are real human beings. They're not caricatures as Donald Trump is. I just think that he did a wonderful job of putting this all into perspective. He's very smart, and he's very, very good at putting out positive messages rather than trying to get angry people and lynch mobs out there to vote for someone we, that's an unknown factor, a real loose cannon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Patricia, thank you very much uh, uh, for that call. Um, let's go to uh, Tony in Plymouth. Tony, welcome to uh, Detroit Today. Hi. Uh-huh. Um, I love the president. He's the greatest president in my lifetime, in my opinion. But um, I wish he would address the fact, and maybe the guest can, the fact that, let's face it, there's been an industry, a very profitable industry for the last 20 years at Fox News, scandal after scandal that is nothing. And I wish the president would have said that in the midst of all the killings a few weeks ago of um, black men and police officers and terrorism, if you listen to Fox News, you would think that the emailing of emails from a private email server is the biggest problem we have in this country. It's so absurd. And I wish he... One other thing I want to point out, if you noticed how mad President Obama was that one second when he said the word <laughs> birther. Right. And I wish he would have talked about that a little more. Because Donald Trump was the leader of that movement, and that is yeah. the only explanation is overt racism. Yeah. Tony, thank you very much uh, for that call. Lee Wilkins, uh, talk about what the what Tony is talking about here, this, this dynamic of 
negative, very negative uh, campaigning that that goes well beyond the the, the presidential or the political cycle uh, these days, and is a twenty four hour thing on not just Fox News, but uh, but many other many other outlets. Uh, does that is that more effective? I think is the question than a speech like what the president gave last night. It can be more effective. Again, I'm going to resort to the the research on this suggests that there are some times when negative campaigning is extremely effective. Mm -hmm. There are other times when negative campaigning has backfired. As scholars, we don't have a really good handle on that except to say the following. When journalists get out and do their jobs and people have a chance to pay uh, attention to journalism, particularly journalism that takes on the claims in negative political ads, which don't just emanate from a particular candidate or a particular party. We have some preliminary research that suggests that that kind of journalism, I want to say, mitigates to a certain extent the impact of negative campaigning. Uh-huh. The other thing that the caller, I think, rightly points out, and it's something that it's hard to talk about, is that if you let any particular news media outlet, whether that's Fox News or the New York Times, frame your news agenda, then you have a problem. I have a problem as a journalist. I also have a problem as a citizen. Um, I applaud the caller for listening to Fox News and being a critical enough thinker to say, even though they're telling me that this is a really big problem in my own mind, do I believe that this is the most serious problem facing the country? Um, that's the kind of smart readers and viewers and listeners that, as journalists, we all want to be talking to. But there are times when I think that people are so busy and so frustrated that they just sort of accept that, oh, this is the most important thing without asking that, that follow-up question. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lee, I know your specialty is uh, media and, and, and media criticism. Let's talk about how the media have performed the last two weeks. We're near the end of the Democratic convention, and of course last week we had the Republican convention. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday really got after the media uh, for what he saw as a lopsided difference between the way his convention was covered and the way that the, the speeches and events have been covered this week. What's your take on uh, how, that's, how that has been? So you want me to say words I can say on the radio, right, Stephen? <laughs> yes, <laughs> okay. please. Um, this is my comment about, about all of this. I think as journalists we are doing not enough good work to not take everything that anyone says at face value. And I think that we're not being thoughtful enough to say, so I'm going to use Mr. Trump as an example, and then I'm going to try to turn around and use something that a Democrat said, so I'll try to be even-handed here. (laughs) So when Mr. Trump said yesterday, and and I saw this in the news conference, so this is my memory of it, that um, he encouraged Russia to go and find um, Secretary Clinton's missing 33,000 emails. Please forget the fact that in the middle of that statement, that number is erroneous. Um, We sort of kept repeating it and repeating it and repeating it without having the good sense to say, okay, this is out there. Now we're going to do some reporting on it. And meanwhile, audience, here are these other important things that are happening in the world that you need to be aware of. And when we have new facts to further the Donald Trump 
claim, we will give those to you as quickly as we can. I think that's a place where we're really falling down on our jobs as journalists. And I, I would paint that brush at practically every media outlet that I saw reporting on that yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, similarly, there have been some claims made about America's standing in the world, especially at the Democratic Convention. And those claims have been tied to directly to Secretary Clinton and by inference to President Obama that I don't think there's a good factual basis for either. But we just repeated them without, you know, without going along and reporting. Um, there's a, for some of your audience, you know, journalists look back to uh, a very famous speech where um, McCarthy stood up in West Virginia and said, I have here a list of 206 people in the State Department who are members of the Communist Party. And we reported that like stenographers. The page that McCarthy was holding was blank. And I keep coming back (laughs) to that going, you know, journalism is more than just stenography. We need to actually be able to do um, investigative reporting, independent reporting, critical thinking, and not just repeat everything that comes out of every candidate's mouth, no matter how wonderful we think it is or no matter how questionable we think it is. We need to be appropriately skeptical of everybody, and that's something I'm not seeing near enough of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Lennard in Detroit. Lennard, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, I to this Lenard, I think we're having a problem with your phone. Uh, call us back, Lenard, uh, and we'll we'll try to get you on. Uh, let's go to Adele in Dearborn. Adele, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you, Stephen, for taking my call. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just wanted to say that um, Mr. Obama's speech was very electrifying as well, and it was very inspirational for me, especially for people who are seeking office in this November in local in local elections. Uh, like me, I'm seeking office for the Board of Education in the city of Dearborn, and it spoke a lot to me um, personally. So I, I wanted to, uh, to touch on the point of the vice president pick, and hopefully your guests can comment on this. Uh-huh. I, I think Clinton could have had a better choice. Uh, I've watched uh, Tim Kaine's speech, and I wasn't very convinced. I don't think he added that much to the table than what uh, Clinton herself already has. I think if she picked someone like Bernie Sanders, per se, uh, probably he would have added a lot more, brought the youth to the um, uh, to the party and also united the party after it was fractured during the primary. Yeah. So I'd like to hear her take on that. And yeah. Thank you so much again for taking my uh, call. Adele, thanks uh, very much for calling. Uh, Lee Wilkins, we did hear from uh, Vice Presidential Candidate Tim Kaine last night uh, as well. Uh, not as great a speech as <laughs> as uh, uh, as Barack Obama, uh, somebody who probably uh, uh you know, I, I think um, is better on paper. Uh, I've known about Tim Kaine for a long time and, and written about him before. Uh, I, I have never thought of him as a great speaker. Last night, though, he had a job to do, and I think what Adele is saying is he didn't really he didn't really sell those who might be on the fence about him uh, with that speech. 
So the, the, the caller asked me a direct question, and I'm going to say <laughs> my personal views about who or who should not have been the vice presidential right. candidate right. for either the Republican <laughs> Party or the Democratic Party, those are mine, and I'm not, I'm not going to share them with the audience. <laughs> right. What I can say is that every time Tim Kaine talks, he makes me wish I had done better when I took Spanish in college. Oh, yeah. Uh, because I'm trying to listen and and I did not do well. The listening audience needs to know this. It was it was it was not the first foreign language I was trying to learn. Um, and but what I think he brings in in that sense, and we're talking again about oratory and about the public presentation of all of this is his ability to go back and forth between English and another language, I think says something to a certain segment of American voters. Um, it is President, it was said in the video about President Obama in a very different way, which is one of the greetings in Africa is, you know, say, hi, hello, how are you? Maybe, or maybe it was Bill Clinton who said this. And the response is not, I'm fine. Their response is, I see you. Right. Um, this is uh, Senator Kane's form of, I see you. I, I see you so well that I can speak to you in your cradle tongue. Now, that frustrates me because I can't keep up with him. My Spanish is just not that good. But I think for a certain segment of the American public, it's very welcome. It's 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 the notion of I see you, I get you at this at this level. Um, whether or not that makes him a good choice or a bad choice, I'm going to leave that up to people in the privacy of the voting booth. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Lee Wilkins of Wayne State University about last night's speeches at the Democratic. National Convention, and we're going to take more of your calls. Stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Stay with us on Detroit Today. News. Culture. Community. Every day. On 1019 WDET. A different kind of public radio. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being with us. I am talking with Lee Wilkins, who's a professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. We're talking about the Democratic National Convention and the speeches last night, which included President Barack Obama's really stirring address to the delegates. What difference do these speeches make uh, in the way that voters make their decisions about what they're going to do in November? And how did the president do? How did Mike Duggan, who is the mayor of the city of Detroit, who we're hoping is going to be able to join us this hour, he's still at the breakfast, uh, the Democratic National Convention, Michigan delegation uh, breakfast every morning uh, in Philadelphia, is not, is consuming his time. So uh, if we can get him free of that, we'll get him onto the show. Uh, but what did you think of the mayor's speech last night? What did you think of Flint Mayor Karen Weaver? What did you think of Dan Kildee, a congressman from Flint, getting uh, stage time at the Democratic National Convention, talking about what's going on in their cities? Is this kind of messaging 
effective. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go back to Lennard. Uh, Lennard, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Welcome. Uh, uh, as, as a black man in America, I'm finding it really hard to, to suggest that even I consider the Democrats at this point. So I, I'm tired of speeches. I don't see policy. I don't see... We've had eight years of, uh, of President Obama, and he's, he's ignored us as a black president. He, he, he seems scared, you could say, or he's given every reason, or he's he, he a surrogate. Give all these reasons why he can't address us directly, why we can't get policy. All we get is a speech, like like pastors. We, we, we Detroit is supposed to be the, the you know the the, the city with uh, all these black churches, but all they get up and, and give is a speech. We have problems, you know, in, in the black community getting rampant. But all we ever want to do is give a speech and get tickered and get excited about a speech. If you're not producing resources and policies, we don't have anything. Uh, you know, uh, Leonard, uh, I, I'm not going to argue with you at all. I mean, I think uh, African-Americans have had a lot of frustrations with President Obama since he's been uh, in office in the way that he has chosen to address or not address uh, African-American issues uh, head on. Uh, I, I have been surprised, especially in the last few weeks, as we've seen uh, this conflict between Police departments in the African-American community come to a head yet again, uh, but then we also had uh, killings of police officers in, in Dallas. I, the, the difference in the way he addressed those two things and, and what I felt was a gap, there's no question. Uh, but at the same time, it's hard not to, to sort of sit back and acknowledge some of the things that have happened in the last eight years that have had a real effect for black people. I mean, you talk about uh, uh, the, the health reform bill, for instance, uh, the, the, the number of people who have insurance now who didn't before and where those differences took place. Places like uh, the city of Detroit, uh, impoverished places with large numbers of African-Americans. So I think that that is a definitely a tricky balance and and I totally respect where you're coming from I'm not sure I'm in exactly uh, the same space you are but but it's one of the things that I think will uh, will help uh, sort of forge the legacy that this president is going to have uh, Leonard thanks very much uh, for sticking with us you had a, a bad connection the first time but we got you through on the second uh, on the second call let's go to Janet in Southfield welcome to the show today uh-huh. Good morning. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Sure. I echo uh, what you said, uh, Stephen, about the issues um, that we believe that the president hasn't addressed with regards to African Americans. But my question or comment specifically has goes back to something Ms. Wilkins talked about earlier with regards to journalists addressing and following the story and uh, not just parroting what just being um, said, um, and it has to do with uh, how uh, Secretary Clinton seems to always have the issue of the Benghazi issue laid at her feet, and no one seems to talk about the congressional piece of this. Um, As I understand it, Congress was responsible for cutting the budget, not once but twice, with regards to resources for the embassies around the, the, the world. So um, I guess I'm wondering why that 
part of the story has not um, been covered uh, enough and what Ms. Wilkins thinks about it. Great, uh, great question, uh, Janet and Southfield. Thanks very much uh, for calling and asking. Lee Wilkins, uh, professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University, how do you answer that? So I don't want to give this very smart question anything like an excuse. I'm going to say that news tends to be defined as what happened today. And the congressional hearings and the congressional budget decisions to which the caller correctly and accurately refers, at least it's my understanding, are not things that happened today. One of the things that journalists are really bad at, and, and we have no excuse, we can get better at this, is, is to simply to, to put what happened today in a larger context of things that happened maybe six months, maybe two years ago, that influence what happened today. And I think that the, the criticism that you're making is absolutely spot on. And in my own sense, I don't see why journalists cannot do this better. I mean, we give lots of excuses, you know, like, well, we're busy and it's a 24-hour news cycle. And, well, obviously, you don't need to be reminded of this because you already know about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have brought it up. But, but the fact of the matter is I think we're spending a little bit too much time on stenography and not enough time, space, airtime, words, whatever you want to say, on putting that stenography in context. And it's just a stenography. It's the context that gives things meaning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, John in Oak Park. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, uh, fantastic show. Thank uh, you. I heard one of the callers there called, and they were saying that they needed Obama to say more about the emails or even addressing maybe the problem they even having in, that, have, that happened in Benghazi. But I, I think that's something for Hillary to address. Uh, if you listen, people always listen, and if they have to have their minds made up, sometimes you, you, you can't hear yourself. You can't hear yourself thinking, and you're definitely not listening because Obama did address it. He did say last night, he said that Hillary has made some mistakes. Just like he even came back and even said, I've made some mistakes. And I just think people need to listen more. This, this, you know, the thing about it is, I tell you, it's, we're at a point to where, I mean, I wish we could get four more years of Obama. This is just my opinion, <laughs> because Donald Trump reminds me of the little boy that used to play basketball with on the court. Now, he couldn't play, but it was his ball. So because you didn't let him play, he said, I'm taking my ball and going home. That's what he reminded me of. This is a man that has an enormous ego. He's a man also, to me, that's like, he's running for president because somebody told him that he could never win. And I think that's the only reason why he wants to be president, just to say, listen to me, look at me, I'm sticking my chest out. I've achieved it. I've become president. We don't need that. We don't need another business. We definitely don't need a businessman as being a president. And especially in the state of Michigan, we should know that. We should know that because of what we have as a governor. Hadn't worked out the way we thought, right? No, it hasn't worked out because the thing about it is he made a decision based off of money instead of making a decision based off of people. Yeah. That's how he did those people in Flint. Yeah. And John. this is what? John, so, thanks very much. Yeah, no, no, John, thanks very much uh, for that call. Um, we're going to take uh, a couple more calls here. Uh, Joanne in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I called it and thank your, your guest for pointing out the issue that drives me bananas is that it, feel, it feels like in, during the campaign, much of the coverage, it's as though we were watching a sporting match 
or uh, I figure skating in the Olympics because there's all this discussion about emotion, this or that, and, and not a whole lot on substance. And so I'd like to ask your guest, I often think that the reason there isn't a lot of uh, delving into detail and fact-checking is it has something to do with the editors and maybe control at the uh, media outlet or institution. And also want to ask your uh, guest what she thinks about how any of this could be benefited if the fairness doctrine were returned to communications. A uh, very interesting question, uh, Joanne. Thanks very much for that call. Lee Wilkins, uh, professor and chair of the communications department at Wayne State University. What about that? Uh, what, what is the, what's the thing that we should be looking at in terms of restoring more of that fairness to, uh, to coverage? So your caller asked a couple of, of related but separable questions, so let me do the first one. As a former reporter, I have to say, I blame my editors for everything. <laughs> Every mistake I ever made, it was never my fault. fault. It was my editor's fault. Um, so, but having, having said that, one of the things that you can do as an editor is to make sure that all sides, and I'm not going to use both sides because I don't mean it that way, that all sides of a story are captured, if not in one story, if in the ecology of the news coverage that you get, so that, that we make sure that, that we touch those bases. I think that some of this is the way that journalists sort of approach their jobs. Um, some of that we like to blame on technology, and I and I and I do too. And when my when I te when we teach our students that you know, well, you, in the first 20 minutes where you're at something, you've got to send out your first tweet. I never operated under those kinds of serious time deadlines. I had a little bit of time, at least, to sit and think. The other thing that's going on here is something that that I don't do enough of, and I think a lot of viewers, readers, and listeners don't, is I don't do enough grazing on sources that I would not normally go to. Um, I get a lot of news pushed at me. Donald Trump sends me emails. So does President Obama and Secretary Clinton. Um, but I don't make enough of an effort to go out and, and, and see what people who might not normally be in my you know, immediate vicinity are saying and, and writing. Right was with regard to the fairness doctrine the fairness doctrine was great before we had the internet now what we've done is we've simply moved the responsibility for fairness not onto the people who are producing media content but onto us as media consumers and so that is where i see the two questions as related now it's up to me to make up my own sense about what constitutes fairness and that is requires a lot of work on my part and it requires a lot of effort on my part and I think it's it's harder when it's not prepackaged for me. Yeah. All right, Lee Wilkins, professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University, thanks very much for helping us out with this conversation on Detroit today. You are more than welcome, Stephen. Thank yeah. you so much for asking me. Sure, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, up next, we're going to talk with Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan about his DNC speech last night. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.